0: We are continuing our conversations, we're on the next to the last one, about identity theft. It's obviously a very popular uh, theme and focus in the culture in which we live. In the spiritual terms, we, we have an identity that God gives to us, many layers of identity that we're given when we become Christ followers. That identity that we have, or the, really the layers of identity, are very critical Because in this existence that we have as human beings, we form identities. We form a reasoning of who we are. Sometimes that reasoning of who we are and how we identify ourselves from the inside out, not our identity so much from the outside. In other words, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a son, and all those things. But who we really think that we are. And that identity is formed sometimes by the way we, that we're, we're brought up, the way we were raised. Sometimes that identity is formed by our failures. There, there's, there are those that, that identify themselves for the rest of their lives by their brokenness. There are those, those parts of us that sometimes feel inadequate, like it's not up to par. And those are, those are things that we say, well, I'm just not good at that. All of a sudden that becomes our identity. And through all those things, Christ wants to break through and bring something new, as He always will. Bring to us a new sense of identity. And sometimes even when we don't feel like it, we don't believe it, we don't, we're not up for it, all those types of things, we have to say by faith, I'm going to cling to the identity that God gives to me because we have discovered that our actions follow our identity. If I've labeled myself and, and have allowed a, an identity, let's say, of laziness to be embedded in my inner self, and I say, I'm just a lazy person, then my actions are going to follow. I give myself excuses and reasons why I wouldn't act, or I'm not a proactive person, or I'm a coward, or I'm a gl- whatever those things are. And in those times, our, because our actions follow, it's important that we turn away from those things that. We have decided, that we've determined, and by faith hold on to the identities that God gives to us, because if we do, our actions will follow. I repeat myself one more time that this this collection of conversations is not just about our identity, but also about that tension that in the spiritual realm we are faced with an enemy who wants to rip off our identity, who wants to substitute Christ's identity for what he wants us to believe because he also knows that our actions will follow. That if he can if he can ebb away and erode the identity that God has for us, then we will not be as proactive in advancing the kingdom and God's cause. And he understands. And so for that reason, we have this tension in the spiritual realm against our identity and the identity that our enemy wants to give. So as we're singing today... It was the perfect uh, set of lyrics and, and thinking about creation because it's tied into who God, the identity that we're going to see today. Uh, clothed with rainbow, living color, lightning, thunder. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, there are just moments, I don't know about you, but there are moments where I'm like, I'm still dazzled by creation. Even this morning, I was out and taking an early morning walk and just this, the sunrise, like wow, it's, it never ceases to amaze me. I've been a Christian for a little over three decades and, but believed in God even before I believed in Christ. Many people are that way and maybe you're that way. You can believe in God and not take that next step that is necessary, but there is a period of time where you may just generically believe in God. Of course, God is always drawing us to be closer so that we can bridge the gap between He and, uh, uh, between He and us. And the way that He did that was through sending His Son Christ. But even before I became a Christian, I just marveled at, at creation. Now, we know not everybody's that way. We understand that, that people believe in all different kinds of, uh, of theories, that, uh, that how the world began. There, there are th- those who believe in the spore theory, those who believe in evolution and, and, and whatnot. It's becoming more and more popular. In fact, I heard about this guy who was a zookeeper. And uh, he was walking through the zoo, and he, and he saw this monkey reading two books. Do you feel something coming here that's like not really true? Uh, this monkey is reading two books, and uh, I'm figuring if this, this gig doesn't work out, I'm practicing for stand-up uh, comedy, so. So uh, he comes along the monkey cage, the monkey's reading two books. One is the Bible, and the other one uh, is Darwin's Origin of Species, the book that, you know, people get their theory of evolution from. So he's reading the Bible, he's reading Darwin's book, and the zookeeper says to the monkey, well, what, how come you're reading these two books? And he says, well, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm trying to figure out, am I my brother's keeper or am I my keeper's brother? Now, some of you are going to have to think about that for a minute. Some of you are like, I still don't get it. Yeah, you'll get it up maybe on the way home, perhaps. <laughs> I heard about a scientist now science and 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 theology go well together unfortunately in some circles they become you know uh, uh uh enemies but they shouldn't be because science beautifully works in with the scriptures but I heard about this scientist and he went to God and he said uh, hey God I you know I we figured out how to make a human being and uh so we don't need you anymore God and so God said, okay, well, th- th- this should be interesting. So, But here's the deal. I- I'll-, I'll go away if you you make the man like I made man. So you reach down and get some dirt and like I did, and you make, you know, man out of dirt. And so the scientist says, no problem. We'll, c- we'll come up with something. So the scientist reached down. He got a clump of dirt. And God said, not so fast. That's my dirt. You got to come up with your own. <laughs> you see, as we know, God created... The earth, as, it, we, as the Bible says, ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. See, we can clone things, we can invent things, but it's never ex nilo. And I often think, and I've said it many times, but I often think that we only take for granted the creation that we live in just because we live in it. That God could have made this creation any way that he wanted to. Could have made it all gray. Could have made it all hot pink. Could have made it all one color. He could have made it without flavors. He could have made it without smells. He could have made it without roses and magnolia trees and hibiscus and all those. He could have made it without um, barbecue and, and uh, Krispy Kreme donuts or whatever those things are you're thinking. Tofu, yes. <laughs> Some of you think, why didn't he do <laughs> Such a way that, that, that um, it could have been stale with no emotions. No crying, no laughter. He could have done all those things. So I was thinking about the way that he designed this whole system. You know, God, because he's perfect, could have said, "You know what? I'm going to put the perfect number of trees. Let's say it's 180 billion trees. I'm going to put the perfect number of trees on the planet, and we won't need another tree. We'll need a. I'll put the perfect number of fish, and but let's just stick with trees." And therefore I'm not gonna, there would be no need to make another tree. Well of course it wouldn't have worked out because we live on natural resources and there would have been a major thing. That's why God's smarter than we are. But the way that God made this whole system of creation is that one thing makes more of itself. It produces more of itself. This is the way God set it up. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11 on the opening page of the Bible, Let God. Then God said, let the land, there it is, produce vegetation. Seed-bearing plants. See, he could have said, let's just let the land produce plants. But that would have been it. But it had to produce seed-bearing plants so that it would produce other kinds of plants. And the trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. See how detailed God is. He could have said, man, I just created these beautiful fruit trees. Ah, darn it. If they die out, I don't know what to do. But he created the trees that bore fruit that had seed so that they could produce according to their various kinds. So the entire system, whether we're talking about trees or fish or hippopotamuses or hippopotami or whatever they're called, all of them are in this overarching system of being producers. Now we come to men and women. God created Adam and Eve so that they could produce physically. So they would make babies who would grow up to be parents who would make babies and so on and forth and so on. That all of everything I'm talking about is in the physical realm. Now when we come to Christ, many things happen in that moment. But one of the things that happen is that we in Christ become a new creature, a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the Bible said he is, he or she is a new creation in God. In fact, Christ talked about the second birth. We have a physical creation, a physical birth, but he said, but when you come to me by faith and you bridge the gap by receiving the gift that I've given to you through Christ on the cross, Then the Holy Spirit ignites your spirit inside of you. And what happens is that there's a new creation, a new creation that's happening, and you become born a second time. And in that second time, now God not only allows us, empowers us, designs us to be producers physically, but He designs us to be spiritual producers, to make more of ourselves spiritually. Watch. Christ says it this way, writing through Paul, actually in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we, those who follow Christ, are God's workmanship created, there's the word, in Christ Jesus to do, he's talking spiritually, to do good spiritual works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he did not just create us to consume, but he created us to produce. And that is the identity for today. That our identity in God is that we are producers. Now, we would think that the antithesis of producing is consuming. And sometimes I think consuming gets a bad rap. In other words, we're when we say, oh, you're just a consumer, that means a bad thing. But consuming is very important. It's important to an economy, for example. People have to consume things so that people can sell things, selling and buying. The trees that God created in Genesis chapter 1, they needed to consume. In other words, they consumed water from the rain. They consumed uh, 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 uh the uh, um, sunlight. I knew there was something up there, and they consumed sunlight. And they probably consume other things that I'm not even aware of. But they, they're consumers, but they also produce. You see... As Christians, as spiritual beings, if we're Christ followers, there's nothing wrong with consuming. All of us do it, and all of us need to do it. We need to feed ourselves. We need to be fed. That's what we're doing today. We're feeding ourselves through the Word of God. Nothing wrong with that. But we cannot consume only, and that's the key. God has called us to be spiritual consumers and spiritual producers in other words we must make more of ourselves spiritually now be careful here's what happens for many years as a as a as a a believer in christ man i'm learning how to to become a christian how to walk with god all those things when i came to christ there was a man from india who spent every week with me thursday nights at seven o'clock man every week and I would go to him. His name was Titus. Titus, I don't know how to pray, man. I, I, I've never prayed really to God. I, I'm not sure how can you help me with that. I don't know where to read the Bible. It seems so overwhelming. Where do I jump in? I, I, I don't know where to start. And what Titus was doing was he was pouring out what God had poured into him and pouring it into me so that I could become a tree like he was becoming, like he was growing a tree spiritually speaking. What I thought for so many years was that I'm going to consume spiritually. I'm going to be fed. I'm going to grow. And if I'm going to produce, what I'm going to do is nice things for other people. Nothing wrong with doing nice things for other people. But I really wasn't pouring myself out spiritually. I was just doing some physically nice things for people, which I'll say again, is all well and good, but it's not the entire picture. What Christ is asking us to do is pour out spiritually to others, and that is the more difficult thing rather than just helping someone out in a physical way. You understand where I'm going. So, in fact, when Christ calls us in John chapter 15, watch what he says and look at the link between what he's saying to the very first chapter of Genesis and Genesis 1-11, as we saw Jesus said to his disciples before he departed from the earth, he said in John chapter 15, verse 16, he said, I chose you and I appointed you. I commissioned you. I organized you. I I challenged you. I charged you with whatever verb you want to put in there. I appointed you so that you may go. And there it is. Bear fruit, spiritual fruit, fruit that will last, meaning a tree that will make a tree who will make a tree. You see, I believe in making disciples. If you hung around me long enough, you, you know that very well. But it's not just that. We're not just making disciples. We're making disciples who will make disciples. We're making disciple makers. We're pouring out of ourselves, our inner spiritual life, into someone else who hopefully will then pour out their spiritual life. You see, if I just do nice things... If I've been fed and I've grown, I've had hardship, just like many of you, hardship and experience and trial and error and all that didn't work. And now I learned, oh, wow, I need more prayer, all those things. And I'm just over here giving things out. I really haven't poured myself. And worse than that, we will not perpetuate the inner life that God has poured into us. Make sense? That's what God is. That's what Christ is saying here. I'm not only asking you to bear fruit, but I'm asking you to bear fruit that will last. Now Jesus calls his disciples Peter and his brother Andrew, and when he calls them, it's a very clear distinction that he makes. He says in John chapter or Mark chapter one, verse seventeen, he says to Peter and Andrew, as you remember, they were fishing, as we'll see here in a little bit. And Peter walks up, or Jesus walks up, and says, "Hey, follow me." In Mark one seventeen, "Come follow me." In other words, you can consume from me, you can follow me, you can take in what I'm pouring out. But he doesn't stop there. See, he makes a distinction. He said, "Come follow me," because he could have just stopped there. By the way, he said, "Just follow me. I want to be. I want to be the mentor, and you you'll always be the follower. I'll be the disciple maker. You be the disciple. Not a problem." We can just keep that relationship going forever and ever and ever. That's, that's great. But he doesn't stop. He says, come follow me and I will empower you. I will make you fishers of men. I want you to take note that he doesn't say this. Come follow me and you better become fishers of men. You better become producers. He doesn't say that. Come follow me and I will make you. It's a key for today. I will make you. I will empower you. I will give you the tools. I'll give you what's necessary in order to be spiritual producers. It is a it is a, a critical part of understanding who we are as producers for Christ. It's in this moment that, that not only did God lay out this, this design for us, this identity for us, But he also, in this, when he's saying, I will make you fishers of men, he has the same expectation in us as he did in the trees he made in Genesis chapter 1. He had an expectation that when he created the trees, he said, now I'm telling the trees, I'm commanding the trees, I've made you in such a way that I expect you to make another tree, otherwise by the time we get to 2015, there'll be no paper, there'll be no paper cups, there'll be no paper products. We need to make this thing in such a way that it keeps going. There is an expectation. You might remember that Jesus, when he was walking down the road one time, he saw a fig tree. Now, there are different Angles of this this experience in the different gospels. We we today we're going to look at Matthew chapter twenty one, and verse eighteen. Matthew twenty one verse eighteen. Early in the morning, as Christ was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it. Now, another gospel writer tells us that he saw the tree, the fig tree, from a distance. It's, It's important. He saw the fig tree from the distance. And he went up to it, and he was hungry. He's going to get a little grub, going to pick a little figs, get a little bit of sugar in his system, and need a little bit of sustenance, right? And so he went up to the leaf, and so he, he's seen a fig tree by the, by the road. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to the tree, may you never bear fruit again. He cursed it. Immediately the tree withered. It's a puzzling thing unless you know much about fig trees, and I'm guessing mo- most of us don't. Fig trees are very interesting. You see like an apple tree. An apple tree, when you plant an apple tree and, and it grows the first few years or whatever, it doesn't bear fruit, right? But when it comes time to bearing fruit, you'll see the tree and, and you'll see you know, the leaves on the tree and then the buds will come in and the little apples and then they begin to bloom. See, fig trees are not that way. Fig trees are unusual because the figs come before the leaves. And so when you see a leaf, when you see a fig tree that has the leaves on it, you make an assumption that the figs are already there because the leaves indicate that the figs are in. So when he saw the fig tree from a distance, he had an expectation that it would have fruit on it. In other words, let me put it in our, right up in our backyard. When he saw the fig tree, he saw, which pictured, by the way, the nation of Israel, but it pictures us as well. There was an there was an expectation, like, oh, this fig tree is like just got all these beautiful leaves. Certainly, because of its maturity, it's going to bear fruit. And so that's what ticked him off so much, because all of a sudden he just—he pictured the nation of Israel, like, man, by this time, I've spent thousands of years with these people, and by this time, man, they should be like manufacturers of and producers. And I'm finding nothing, and in that moment, like, ah, you can feel that, ah, of Christ in that moment of frustration. You see, there's sometimes when you look up here, and I'm the guy up here flapping and screaming with a Bible in my hand, I think, man, now there's a lot of leaves on that guy. There's such a maturity level, and then, and in Christ would say, well, we're not so fast. Sometimes I'm looking for some figs with Stevo, and I'm not finding them. Just because from a distance people look like they got a a lot of leaves and they've been in the church culture and all that for a long time, not so fast. Because it's very true that we can be in the church culture for a long time, consuming, 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 growing leaves, and not produce, and not be producers. And Christ has that expectation, the more we grow, that I'm asking you to pour it out in somebody else's life. That's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 and verse 12 says this time to, to mature believers, hey man, by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you elementary truths all over again. Do you remember the parable of the talents? When Christ, at the end of time, people are going to come up. Who are the people that, that God cheered? He said, "Ah, oh, man, you've produced, you've multiplied. So it's important that when we look at this, we not only see that this is the way God has designed us, but it's what Christ expects in my life. So let me hold up for a second. Let's just take, just take an inventory. The question is not, how long have you been in church? The question is not, how many leaves do you have on your fig tree? The question is certainly not, how much do you know about the Bible? The question, subtly, is not how many good things that you do. But the question is, can you picture those people in whom you have poured your spiritual life, that they're beginning, you are making more of yourself from a spiritual point of view? That is a very tough question to answer, is it not? Those, those the other ones are easy. Oh, I tell you what I know about the Bible. I tell you what I know about the Bible right now. Here it is. Here's how long I've been in church. Here's how what I know. Here are my favorite preachers. Here are my favorite books. Here are the nice things I do. Man, I, I can answer those questions without thinking at all. But when I begin to ask myself, as I'm asking you to ask, who are those people that I have that I have put that spiritual seed into that and sowed into their lives? So that I begin to see, oh man, that tree is growing. And it's an exciting thing. There are reasons why why we don't do it. I mean let's just put it right on the table. You think, okay, why 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 isn't why why don't why are we not more about that? And I think there are reasons, and I think there's a compassionate reason because this is not a reason to you know to kick us in the britches but i think i think there there's a compassionate reason i can think of a lot of reasons but they all seem to come down to this one reason here's here's my proposal to you why is it that we don't when it comes to discipleship or mentoring or pouring ourselves into someone else why is it not at the premium in the in the church culture and i think it comes down to this i believe that we begin to look at ourselves and we say man my resources are limited. In fact, I brought up a, a, a prop with me today. Sometimes I feel like, I don't know if you, you, can, you, you connect with this, but I feel like sometimes my life is, a, is like this jar. That there's only so much of me. That maybe it's emotions. I've only got so much energy at the end of the week, and this is all I got. Man, I've got to put a lid on it. Time is a big deal for me. I, I I probably say too often. Ah, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Blah blah blah. I'm like so. When someone calls and it's at, it's it's at the eleventh hour, I'm like ah, I really don't have time. And I'm looking at that set of resources in order to determine whether or not I can produce or I can pour into someone else. Many times, I cannot tell you, I've, I truly have lost count of how many people I've talked about. Hey, how about discipleship? Man, you've been in the game for a long, long time. How about you, you take a young believer or you take someone that's trying to find their way. Why don't you pour into their lives? I'm not talking about going to mow their grass. I'm talking about going in and, and pouring into them. And over and over, I've lost count of, I, I just don't know enough about the Bible. It's only in this little jar. I, I feel like i got to be an expert. I feel like i got to be Billy Graham or Tony Evans or Rick Warren or, you know, one of the big names. i, I got to be that because if I'm not that, see, see, see I don't know if you know, Steve, but see, my knowledge is just, a, it's only 16 ounces. And, man, you're asking for a 32-ounce ask here. You feel it, right? You see, Christ comes and says, I know that's your identity and I have compassion on it. But see, I'll remind you that Christ said, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you. I-, I will empower you beyond your limited scope of who you think that you are. So Christ calls Adam. or Adam. <laughs> he called, well, maybe he did call Adam. Christ calls Andrew and Peter. Now here's the fuller side of the story. They're out fishing. Jesus shows up. Now they, they know that Jesus' father was a carpenter, not a fisherman. Now these guys are pros. Now I don't know if you've ever been around a pro. Our worship pastor. I consider him a professional fisherman, man. Uh, that guy's a pro. In fact, right now, he's in the keys fishing. Anybody ever been fishing with, with uh, yeah, OK, look at this. Many hands around the room I've been fishing with this guy. I went fishing with clay. He's our worship pastor, if you, you haven't been here for a while. I went fishing with clay one time, and he pulls his phone out. He's got software about fishing, you know, like he can tell where the current is and how it's flowing and, you know, where the fish should be swimming and all this. I'm like, dude, so I love going with these guys, not only because they have the knowledge, but I love going with because he, he puts the bait on the hook for me. <laughs> and when I catch a fish, I'm like, ooh, take it off, take it off. And he's willing to take it off. It's pretty cool. See, I'm wondering if Simon and, and, and Peter and Andrew were looking at Jesus as that guy like me. or did he, he didn't know anything about fishing. Because, see, Christ comes along in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. And when, he had, when Christ had finished speaking, he said to Simon, i got an idea. Why don't you put into deep water and let the nets down for a catch? See, they had been fishing all night. You must know that Peter said, what does this guy know? He didn't have any software, by the way. He didn't know anything about fishing. See, we're pros at this. And by the way, see, we've been fishing all night and I know it's impossible. I got it down. There's no way that anything is going to happen here. And Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. There's nothing out there. What would you know? Creator of the oceans and the (laughs) ocean. How small he made Christ in that moment that he fitted He, he fit Christ in a, in a bottle and he said, but, you know, because you say so, I'll, I'll, I'll lower the nets. We, but we've reached our capacity. I'm promising you. And in verse six, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled, they couldn't even handle it on their own. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled up. Both boats so full, they began to sink Clay Barnett's best day of his entire life. I promise you. (laughs) Depending on what kind of fish they were. (laughs) In other words, God said, oh, I see. Don't lower the nets. Can you hear Christ say, may I blow the lid off of your capacity? May I just blow the lid off? Because here's the subtle thing that happens for you and me. Here's a subtle thing that happens. When God calls me to be a producer, and I think, "Hmm, now I'm going to look at this rather than His capacity," I subtly, insidiously, turn into self-preservation. You see, I've only got this much so I'm not going to get that. I mean, we're tired, dude. We've been out fishing all night. I I don't have much left. This happens with people in, in giving, right? When God rings our doorbell and says, Hey, man, you know, I gave you ten apples. Well, you get to keep nine. And we, we say, Hey, let's talk about tithing. Man, the joy of giving back 10% since God owns it all. And we say, Oh, God owns it all, and He can take care of me. Then... But what happens? Struggled with it for many years. See, I'm looking at only my bank account, not God's. I'm looking at His, at my deal. I'm like, ah, oh, man. See, if only, see, God. I don't know if you see my bank account. See, it's only right up to there. Did you see that? And so, because it's right, only up to there. If see, if I give that, then see, I'll be down to. And I begin to only think of what's in that capacity. And you remember in Malachi chapter 3 in the Old Testament where, where tithing is being talked about. The message from God, bring the whole tithe. Don't cheapen out. I want to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me, God is saying. Test me. I want to show you that I own it all. I want to show you that I can take care of you. Test me in this, the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates and bust the lid of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it, just like those, those boats and Peter. Do you remember that when the 5,000 were fed, and in fact, in actuality, there were probably 5,000 men, probably 5,000 women, and probably 5,000 or more children. So it was really 15,000, the way they counted, was men. When he fed the 15,000, he just did not give them box lunches that took care of exactly 15,000 people, not uh, not unlike, he didn't just create so many trees at the beginning. He said, I'll feed the 15,000, and we'll have leftovers at this picnic. You see, we have a leftover God who blows the capacity off the lid of our self-preservation. And unless we're able to say, okay, God, I got the message. I want to be a producer. And I may be this and this and this, and I'm not this and this and this. But I'm not going to look at this, God. I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to tap into your resources. And I want to be fishers of men I want to be a producer. I want to be a disciple maker. I want to pour into other people. I want to be that God. And some people are disciples right now. Some people are not even disciples. They're just beginning to grow. That's great. And you're on that road. Not everybody is a mentor. Not everybody is a disciple maker. But you're growing towards that. And God wants you to grow toward that. But you'll never make it if you look at the jar of your self-preservation. If you're counting hours, like I have, I have been guilty of counting hours. If you're counting your pennies, if you're counting your schedules, if you're counting your 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 emotions, at the end of the day, man, I just don't have anything left. I said in the early service, I'll say again, I'm often inspired by my wife, who has all gone through the week, had a heavy week, and that person will call. She always takes the call. She always says, let me, let me, man, I got another ounce. Let's meet for coffee. Let's have this. That's how, and, and I'm inspired by that because I watch someone whose lid is not just rusted down on the top like mine is at times. Like, nope, mine, I'm done. And when I'm done, I'm done. There was a man in the Old Testament, you know his name. If you know the Bible, his name was Elijah. Elijah was a man who had experienced the unlimited capacity of God. I'm going to bring him up today because even the best of the best have moments. Even the best of the best have moments. Otherwise, what will happen if we don't look at the reality of the, of the fractures of even the best of the best? What will happen if it's, if you're like me, you're like, ah oh, man, I'm a loser, dude. I wanna be a producer and I'm not and I have this, that, and the other, and I do count my schedule and everything. And I wanna be that and I want you to look at this man who just saw this this immeasurable capacity of God at work. When when Elijah came, let me give it a little history lesson. He come he appears in the Bible. In a, in a book called First Kings, it's a history, a, chrono, uh, a chronological history of, of the history of Israel and the kings and the, that reigned in both the northern part and the southern part. So, in, in the 17th chapter of that book, we're introduced to Elijah. And when Elijah comes on the scene, there is famine and drought severely in the land. In other words, the land looked like this. Man, where are we going to get food? I don't know. Is it just we're running out? Where are we going to get water? I don't know. It, this was the scenario. He entered into a self-preservation-minded culture, and God called him to produce, to pour himself out to others. And right from the get-go, God said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you fishers of men, but let me prove to you before you get going." that i have the capacity to catch fish that you can't catch i have the capacity the the limited immeasurable capacity to pick up where your where your capacity leaves off i have that capacity so right from the beginning in in first kings chapter 17 only four verses in in the midst of this famine and drought god tells elijah now everybody else man they're hard up for water and and, and food but you will drink from the brook, well, what brook? I mean, if it were a popular brook, everybody 'd be drinking from the brook Well see i 've got hidden resources i 'm going to show you a brook that nobody else knows about see i've got i 've got emotional strength for you i 've got forgiveness for you i 've got mercy of you that if you only tap into yours, you 'll be limited. But in order to be a poorer outer, a producer, you're going to need compassion. You're going to need forgiveness. You're going to need mercy. You're going to need to give other people slack. And if you only depend on yours, you'll run out. You'll become impatient with those disciples who are trying to get it. So you're like, God, give me more patience, but i got to tap into your account, not mine. And they've got hidden things for you. I've got hidden power for you. And so, Elijah, you'll drink from the brook. And watch this. Amazing. God says, I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. He did not tell Elijah, now you become a raven trainer. You figure it out, bud. You train this raven to fly X number of miles, grab some grub, bring it back, and train him to drop it. He said, no, I'll take care of that for you. I'll take care of that part for you. So he did. I don't know what he brought him. Probably fruit, what the raven brought uh, Totina pizza rolls. I, I'm not quite sure what he brought. But he brought it. After a while, the brook dried up. Now, if you're Elijah, if you're like me, I'm like, ah, man, I'm not... Sh-. Ah, see, I bought into this thing. But there are times that God puts us in the squeeze. And when I'm in a squeeze, you know what I grab for? I grab for my jar. I'm like, ah, oh, man, see, I knew, I knew it would run out. I knew God... Ah, I've had those moments. I hate to confess. I don't know about you, but I'm like, ah, man... But God said, would you just stop? I'm the God that created the entire thing. I have hidden power. I have hidden capacity for you. And so he said, now here's our next move since the, the brook dried up. Just wanted to see if you're going to still depend on me. Watch this. First Kings 17, verse 8. He said, now the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. You know how I commanded the raven? I've also commanded a widow. I want you to know, Elijah, that I am in charge. I've commanded a widow and in that place to supply you with food. So he shows up with, with, if you know the story, he shows up and this widow is down to her last meal, literally. She's got a son and she's got a little flour in a jar and she's got a little oil. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm down to my last waffle, you're not getting it. Just saying. Let go of my ego, or how that goes. They had just enough flour and oil to make a pancake. We would see it as such a a bread, a pan, you know, a little cake type thing. They just had enough, and Elijah shows up and said, "I'll take it." Now, in that moment, you know she must have struggled. She said, well, I just got one more, and I got my son. We're just going to basically eat and die, and we've already given up that we're not going to produce anything else for God, and it's all over, so we we give up. And Elijah said, I can't figure it out either, but God said, give it to me, and he will have hidden capacity. Think beyond by faith. Think beyond your self-preserving mindset. And so with trembling hands, she must have reached it out to him and said, okay. There it is. Well, that's the moment. That's the moment right there. That's the moment God is waiting for. When it looks so low, when it looks like only. You know what I would have done? I would have like. Oh, yeah sure. Let me. Uh, you can have all of it. I would have kept a little. And so. Elijah takes that jar. With that flour and that oil. And watch what happens. You, many of you know the story. He says for this is what the Lord. The God of Israel says. He's not saying this is what I say. This is what God says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain in the land because, see, it's his strength. It's not the jar's strength. And so what, what happens is that he, he, he puts it and he makes the cake. And so she went away and she did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, and for the woman, and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. Watch, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You see, we have a God of leftovers. We have a God of unlimited capacity. We have a God of, of all these things, and we know this. This is the part we say, amen, right? This is the part, yeah, absolutely, and we, then what happens, man? Now Elijah's energized. and Like, well, dude, if you can do with that with ravens and brooks and flower, oh my! Then you can do it with bigger things like priest of Baal. And the next chapter, verse Kings eight, is a powerhouse chapter in the Old Testament. Many of you know it when he is, he Elijah comes and he faces off with these these priests of this false god named Baal, and they're like, they've set up this big altar, the sacrifice, and they think that the. The God Baal, which doesn't even exist, which is, you know, crazy. And they're calling down and they're asking him to send fire and they're dancing all day long. And Elijah said, let me take it from here. You guys finished? You all done? So you've been doing this this gig all day. Let me come along and I'm not going to put gas on the thing or a kerosene on the thing. I'm going to just, I'm going to watch. I want you to see the capacity of God. It's unlimited. I'm going to put water on the thing and I just got a big lighter, but that's not going to work. Watch God's big." That could be a T-shirt and just puzzle people, just mysteriously blow their mind. And and you know the story. God just whammo with unlimited fire. Can you imagine standing there? And then right after that, same chapter, God God sends Elijah to the king. This this king who's been an enemy of Elijah. He says, "Now you go and you tell him that there's a drought, but now it's going to rain cats and dogs." Can you imagine Elijah in that moment? Can you imagine that he's going to face off with a king and he's going to say, now I'm a weatherman. That's fantastic. And you see the weather map? There's not a cloud on the weather map. But i got to tell you, it's going to rain like cats and dogs. He must have felt like a fool. But he understood the capacity of God, and man, it rained. It was past poncho-level rain. It was pouring. Now watch this. After all those things. Because if I said show of hands, how many, how many people believe, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Show of hands, how many people believe the unlimited capacity of God? Raise your hand. Okay. Everybody see that? Okay, we're all in. If we truly believe in the unlimited capacity of God, then we would never worry about our capacity. And it could never be a, a an excuse that I don't have time. Now, I'm not talking about overloading ourselves. I don't have time. I don't have the emotional strength. I don't have that. Because we'd say, God, I'm going to, since I believe it. Now here's a guy, if Elijah were sitting right in this room today, he would he would have been the guy like, you know, the first grader who wants to answer the question. How do believe in the unlimited capacity of God? <laughs> I've seen ravens. I've seen a flower. It just goes over and over and over and over. I've seen it all. And then in the very next chapter, the evil queen Jezebel puts a hit on Elijah's life. And all of a sudden, his life becomes contained in his little jar. After all was he always seen, the best of the best. Watch. First Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid because she had put a hit on his life and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. while he himself alone went on a journey, a day's journey into the desert. It's often when the enemy says, now's my chance. I got him all alone. And I can reduce the capacity, the unlimited capacity of God, right down to a jar. You been there? Where even though we'd all raise our hands, even the best of the best has those days, those chapters. Like, I don't know if God can handle this one. And I'm going to take that lid and I'm going to tighten that lid. I'm going to grind it down and say, man... And watch what he says. He came to a broom tree and he sat down under it. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough. I'm out. I'm out. I'm imagining if Elijah were our guest today. And he were sitting right in this chair. I say, Elijah, i, I got to ask you a question, man. What was up with that raven thing? I mean, wouldn't you ask that? <laughs> come on, let's be honest. I mean, did it, was it really that? I mean, come on, you must have had some kind of training lessons for the raven. No, I'm telling you, the raven showed up, man. had pizza rolls right in his beak, whatever it was. <laughs> he showed up. I mean, the the water, I mean, everybody else was thirsting to death. You out of that? I'm like, I don't know. God said, "Hey, here's the GPS. You follow that, and you get to this hidden brook." And okay, how about that thing with the with the flower in the jar? I mean, honestly, I've seen magicians do that kind of thing. You know, there's got to be some trick or some curtain. No, no, I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not kidding you. Elijah may have said, you know, now the first night, you know, when when I went to pour out all the flower, I, I tell you, I was tempted. <laughs> To only pour a little bit out and keep, but I'll never forget that moment, Steve. If he were standing here talking to us, I'll never forget that moment. Just okay. I'm gonna trust him. Okay, that's it. I'm gonna put it off. And, and sure enough, I laid it out that, that that night. We had we had a we went to the waffle house that night. We made waffles. And I laid it open. I thought, well, maybe a bug will fly in there. At least we could eat that, you know, like Bear Girls or something. <laughs> but sure enough, I came back the next morning and there it was. I mean, it wasn't to the top, but it was, it was enough for that day. And then it happened the next day and the next day and the next day. Man, I'm telling you, it's amazing. I mean, we were like, we, we felt like we started like a Waffle House franchise. It just kept coming at us. And then, man, I tell you what, I faced off with those those priests. I'm like, well, how how was that? If, yeah, man, I poured water on it because God was just impressing on me, just take it to the limit, prove my capacity. Poured water, and then I stood back because by this time now I'm I'm believing the capacity of God. And whammo, oh Steve, you should have seen it. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. And then man, I went to I went to the king and I said, it's going to rain. There's not a, there's not even a cloud in the sky. It's gonna rain. I saw this little cloud up in the sent sent my servant, saw a little cloud, man, start getting bigger and bigger. I'm gonna tell you, Steve, it, the Disneyland ponchos wouldn't have covered it. It's amazing. Then you'd have to take the interview to the next stop, place. Then what happened here? What happened, Elijah? After seeing all those things. He said, man, something got ripped off from me. And the thing that God called me to do became less important than my own jar. And when things become less important than God, they become an idol. I wonder if your schedule, like mine, sometimes becomes an idol. I wonder if your finances become an idol. Whatever is in that jar that keeps you from producing for God, that's the hard and fast news to you. It's an idol. It keeps us from producing for God. what would have happened may i ask you what would have happened if jesus when he asked peter I want you to lower that net son what would have happened if peter said nope I've been working all night nope not doing it not doing it think of what adventure he would have missed just think about that More serious question. What if Elijah, That aren't you glad God doesn't answer all our prayers with a yes? <laughs> what if God had answered Elijah's prayer? I'm done, man, just kill me. If God said, okay, <laughs> not good for Elijah, right? Not, not good. But there's something more serious in place here. You see, when Elijah said, I've had enough and I'm done, he had not produced yet. Elisha, his young protege to come, had not come on the scene yet. He would have died and it would have stopped with Elijah. Don't let everything that God has done in your life stop with you. Don't let it be buried in your jar. God's given you too much. He's brought you through too much. He's taught you too much for you not to pour it out and create another tree and make another tree and produce another tree to make more of yourself. So when, God, when Elijah said, hey, i 'm ready i 'm done got to not on your life you 're not speaking of your life and so he said i 'm going to strengthen you and well, watch what happens. He sends an angel, he sends the angel again, and watch what happens in first kings nineteen and verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched Elijah and he said, get up and eat. And this is where the compassion of God kicks right in. He says, I know, I know, I know the journey is too much for you. And that's when I come in, God would say. I know it's too much for you. I know you feel inadequate. I know you don't feel like you got enough of this or the other. I know your time is tight. I know your finances. I know all that. I know the journey is too much for you. But the grace of God kicks in and said, I will make you fishers of men. I will empower you to do that. I'll give you the words. I'll give you the hidden brooks. I'll give you the ravens. I'll give you the flowers. I'll give you the fish. I'll, I'll do that. That's my job, God would say. And so what happens, he says, now here's what I want you to do. 1 Kings 19 16. Anoint Elisha to succeed you. You gotta produce, Elijah. You gotta produce. There's a young boy, his name is Elisha. I want you to take him under your under your wings. Now watch what happens. Very key mm-hmm. as we close this down. Watch what happens. Elijah says, okay. I'm going to I'm going to take you up on that. I'll produce. He goes to find this young Elisha, and when he comes up to him in 1 Kings 19:19, 19, 19, Elijah went up to Elisha, and he threw his cloak around him. Now, this is not like him being nice putting a raincoat around him. It's much more than that. The cloak, are you ready? was his identity. The cloak identified a prophet. The cloak, if you read back, was used. God used it like he used the rod that Moses had. He used the cloak to split the Jordan River. It it had power. It represented power. It represented everything God was in him. It represented. And he was willing to take that cloak off and put it around. Now I've got to say something very important to a disciple making church. Very important. Listen, listen carefully. God calls us to produce and to pour ourselves out. What he does not call us to is to be mentors emeritus. In other words, that we're always on top and there's some, there's, you know, we got a little gang of people always underneath us and we're always the the hovering mentor, the all-wise mentor that knows everything. No, that's not producing. That's not the heart of a producer. You know what? Jesus said, here's my heart. As a producer, you will do greater things than me. That's the heart of a producer. See, Jesus could have just hung around, come back from the dead, hung around, could still be here on earth because I am the mentor of all people, right? No, he said, no, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to take my cloak off. I'm going to put the cloak around you and I'm going to step away. Christ stepped away in death. Christ arranged things where he couldn't be that mentor on earth physically. He arranged things where the disciples had to become a producer. And he said, man, see, I'm a tree. I'm going to make other trees, and that tree is going to grow greater. See, the joy of a producer is when you look at someone that you've poured in and they've surpassed you. That's the heart of a producer. The heart of someone that just wants to do it for themselves is they always you're always under them, and it's not the heart of a producer. See, Elijah was willing that day to take the cloak off. And then you think, well, what happened after that? Okay, if you know the story, Elijah was caught up into heaven in a whirlwind. You think, really, is that sci-fi? No, it's God, the limited, unlimited capacity. He created the tornadoes. He can do whatever he wants. And so he took Elijah up to heaven in basically a tornado, a, a, a whirlwind. And he left them there. And watch what happened, Second Kings chapter 2, verse 13, as we close here. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 13, Elijah is now gone. But he went at God's timing, not his. Had he gone on his time, Elijah's time, Elisha would not be in the pages of Scripture. But he produced. Now watch. Elisha picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the very place where he saw the power of God working through Elijah on the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it just like his mentor had done. His producer had done. And he said, i got to test it out. Is this the real deal? Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it divided it to the right and to the left. And he crossed over and in heaven God would say, touchdown, we've got a new tree. Because this one has gone on. Man, Who is it? Think about it. Don't think conceptually. Think in reality. Who is it that you're willing to take the cloak of your identity and wrap it around them and say, Man, you do greater things than me. Who is that? And if you say, I can't, I say to you, you can through the power of Christ. May I... May I encourage you with these words from the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. According to his bank account and not yours. His power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Through all generations including this one. Forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm going to close this today with a picture. It's a tremendous picture. And maybe you've seen this story in the news. There's a botanist who's been experimenting with fruit trees. Speaking of fruit trees. And he's got this dream. It's called Tree of Forty Fruits. Have you seen it? What he does, he's starting with stone fruit, like nectarines, peaches, etc. And he's, he'll take a limb from one fruit tree Let's say it's a nectarine, and he'll infuse it into the tree like a peach tree. So far, he's up to 16 fruits, so that one tree has many fruits. Isn't that crazy? I brought a picture uh, of it here. Those are two different fruits growing on the same tree. He's got a dream. And so he had an artist say, see, because fruit tree, you know, they have beautiful blooms and they bloom in different colors and and all that different times of the year. And he had an artist draw the dream. This is the dream. (laughs) This is a life. This is the product of a producer. Right. Can you imagine standing before Christ, at the end of time. And he said, okay, what, what have you produced? I'll see, well, there's Carl over there, and there's John, man, there's Justin, and there's Ted, and there. And I got this, a hey, Christ, I want to... And you turn to him, and you say, this is the tree. And at that moment, I promise you, you will see joy like you've never seen before. This is the heart of Christ. Multiply. He dynamically set all creation in motion and said, produce. And when he came to us in Christ, you are a new creature in Christ. Produce and bring to me a tree of 40 fruits or 400 fruits. Don't come with just something. And in order to do that, you gotta take that jar of here's what I can't do. Here's how much and you gotta honestly blow the lid off of it and open your lid. And God's, this is what God's looking for. Here's my life, God. It's all I got, but I open my lid for your unlimited capacity so you can produce through me. You will make fishers of men, not me. Would you pray? God, I don't, I don't get All of of this, but all I'm doing to you today, God, is praying. Here's my jar, and I take off the lid. And you do what you will. Take off the lid. So we're going to pray a prayer for those who are willing to take the lid off of their capacity. Would you join me? Father, forgive us. Oh, forgive us, God. when we mistakenly compare our capacity to yours god we never say it out loud but we would operate in such a way god that we're operating out of our jar and not yours father forgive us for the for those Moments and those intersections, those opportunities to which we've said no because they've been based only, God, on self-preservation, a limited mindset. Today, God, turn our minds, turn our hearts, turn our choices, turn our desires to be uncovered for you To be open, to take the lid off and say, God, I want to produce. I want to come to the end of my life and have a tree of 40 fruits or more. Because we know, God, that this is the thing that brings the most joy to your heart. And if it brings the most joy to your heart, God, that will transfer to ours. Knowing that we're in sync with the very core, the very core of who you are, God. Father, thank you for creating this world as you have. Genius, brilliant. And the way that it produces, a tree produces a tree that produces a tree. And Father, that same desire and expectation is now directed towards us. God, that we are new creatures in Christ. You have appointed us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So Father, today... Here's our lid. You take it. It's doing us no good. You take it. Your capacity is immeasurable. I pray, God, that there will be someone in this room that will live like it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.